0: hey everyone welcome to this is steph sober a weekly podcast for those in need of some sober support i'm your host steph and today we have a guest whose story will leave you inspired and in awe Catherine's journey is one that touches the deepest corners of the human experience from being a stay-at-home mom to facing the devastating consequences of alcohol use disorder she endured loss heartbreak and the threat of never seeing her children again. However, through unwavering determination and an unyielding desire for change, Catherine found the inner strength needed to turn her life around. Catherine opens up about overcoming her darkest moments, the mental shift that led to lasting sobriety, and the support system that played a vital role in her recovery. Catherine, you are a woman who refused to let her past define her future. Thank you for being so vulnerable and sharing your story with me. It's an honor to have you here. This is Catherine Sober. And you're so okay. You're in Kansas. You're in Kansas City. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in Omaha. I'm in fucking Omaha. Really?
1: Yes. Wait. No way. I'm like right next to you. Dude, basically. Seriously. Isn't that Depending cool? On, well, man, what well, we get going with all this kind of stuff, we're going to have to meet up and like, I know do something. Yeah. Cause I had you know no idea you were, you so know close. Even,
0: I know, you know, it's even more wild is before I even knew you were in Kansas city. My daughter does competitive cheer. We went to yeah. Kansas city like three times last year.
1: No, for cheer, way.
0: and she's not doing it anymore, so that won't be a thing. But I mean, even still, like we go to we go there, and it's just nonstop. But I'm very familiar now with Kansas City because yeah, man, how that amazing!
1: Wild? Yeah,
0: and like all my friends on in- sober Instagram right now all live in the UK, so I've always just been like really sad because I'm like,
1: it's so true, so far away. It's true. There's such a huge like mm-hmm. European. I feel like. Well, they European <clears throat> women, particularly are always ahead of American women with the vibe and with the trending anyway, mm-hmm. but the, the whole like alcohol free trend over there is so, so huge. And here I feel like these American women were fucking stuck in yes. the nineties and it's like, Oh my God. Oh my God. Can you imagine the the fucking amount of these women online, dude, no shade because I was, I mean, I never put myself online, like vibing and drinking because I got sober almost a decade ago. So like, it wasn't really a thing to do. Yes. Thank God. Thank God. But, and my, my uh, alcoholism was so, so, so severe and so bad. I would never have put myself online anyway, unless Mm -hmm. it was like a total, you know, like front, Mm -hmm. Mm but, um, Oh my gosh. Like, the women that get on there like right now and they're like showing how they're coping with their lives by drinking. It's, it's amazing. I I can't believe, I cannot believe that people put themselves online, like with their cocktails and being like, where are the other moms? It's like four 59. Like what the fuck? Yep. And I'm just like, bitch, your kid is going to see this and your kid mm-hmm. is going to be like, wow. My mom needed wine every day to cope with me, like to cope with me. Yeah. I can't. It's amazing. You
0: know know what's screwed up about that is that was me. I'm 18 months sober. That was me. And I am no shit, no shit. Just the other day, you know, shit pops up in your phone. There were all these reels that I made on a vacation. We went to Branson And the whole trip, (laughs) the whole trip there, I was so sick and so hungover. We had to keep stopping just to get there. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And then the whole trip, I was making TikToks about drinking wine and making jokes about my happy juice. And my daughter was the one recording them for me. Wow, man. If anyone understands it, it's me and I don't want, and I'm not excusing yeah. it, but I understand it because it all like goes back to that 14 year old girl who started drinking yeah. to be cool and fit in yeah. and it turned into right. mommy wine culture because and it's it was all, cool all over
1: the internet. So that's like, you were just yep. literally joining in to what you were oh, yeah. already doing. You had already been taught that what you were putting online was fucking cool yeah because guess what every other pta bitch has it online too my kid goes to private school they all do it it's great like it's everybody it's everywhere and like even worse is with like flexing with it like with your gucci bag and then your whatever and your seven carat solitaire and you're up here like that's even worse but then that's the one those are the ones that are so beautiful to look at because you're like damn that's mm-hmm. awesome. Like mm-hmm. I still look at it and I'm like, God, how awesome to be like what it must be like to be her. I, I, I look at her still and think that, right. like, and I, you know, cause we're still those women that are like, I can't have, a, I can't go, I cannot no. go to the dive meet tonight. We're going to a dive meet for one of my sons tonight. I can't go to the dive meet tonight and stand next to the pool with all of my friends with a gin and soda and vibe right away, like the whatever, you know and. It sucks. I can't, I just can't, but it looks cool. Do you know what I mean? I it's know. Like, but they I don't make know. Again, it just like, seem
0: so glamorous and sophisticated. Yeah. That's what it is.
1: Glamorous and sophisticated. And yeah, we got to exactly. just keep
0: reminding ourselves that it's not, it's such yeah, a front. Right. Like you said, totally. it's such a front. I mean, we want to teach our kids that even what they see, right. With the filters and everything alcohol's the same thing. It's a fucking filter. It's not real because I look at those videos that I used to make now. And all I see is this was a humorous way. Cause I'm very like, I like to use humor when things are shit. And it Mm -hmm, was honestly, you know, like it was a cry for help. It was like the undertone was probably like looking at it now, yeah. Because right. The content itself was like, one of them was my liver telling me I should drink more water. And I was basically, like, <laughs> you know, telling it no. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, and it was like a little kid's voice being like, no, you know, like, that kind of funny, shit. But, but that's, it's funny, but it's not. But like, I think there was this part of me inside that knew, like, I'm, I need help. Like this isn't okay, but I'm making fun yeah, of it yeah, to lighten the mood. Yeah. 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 Wow. Do you have friends that drink? You
1: know, it's really funny, because I'm originally from the East Coast. And when I was in rehab, when I like went to my actual real, like fucking raw dog rehab 90 mm-hmm. days, not I'm not talking about my first little trip to rehab, which was two weeks. And then my next which was like, you know, 20 something days. This was like, I'm gonna live, or I'm gonna die. And this is the end. And when I went to rehab and I was in my first like actual group setting for really talking about why we drink what's going on behind all of this let's get to the real feelings yeah i was telling them how much we drank in my family and that it was totally normal on the weekends at 10 a.m. if we're at the river house or on vacation or guess what not even on vacation just waking up and getting ready to take your kid to dance and then do whatever you know Everyone is cracking a beer at 10 a.m. if there's no if there's no real thing going on, like if you're just going to hang out. But it wasn't just my family. That's how it was. Like brunch was drinking. Brunch was Thursdays. Brunch was Sundays. Like I was a stay at home mom. Brunch was whenever the fuck you wanted brunch to be. Yes. Yep. (laughs) Everybody was brunching. So, yeah tons of my friends, especially on the East coast, like the whole atmosphere where I lived before was different. When I wasn't sober, the atmosphere was just completely different than where I am now. And again, it was like 10 years ago. So I was way younger. I'm 43. Now, you know, when I first started hanging out as an, as like a young woman, young adult, I mean, you know, you're in your mid twenties, everybody's brunching and drinking. And then as we went off into our thirties, most of us were still brunching and drinking. And then as you got into your mid thirties, I sort of started to realize, maybe I was brunching and drinking more than my other friends. And I was finding friends who would brunch and drink with me and the friends that (laughs) wouldn't or didn't and started falling off. I'd be like, oh, what the fuck ever. I've got like four other gals I can try. And then finally it became like, you know, one-on-one brunching and drinking. And we're realizing, Ah, where is everybody? You know what I mean? Right. So, like now though, where I live in the Midwest, it was crazy because I got sober out here. I there was no chance I was gonna get sober on the East Coast, and I didn't really realize that. Like my 90 days in rehab were spent on the East Coast, and as soon as rehab was over, I I left. left. I and I frankly I didn't have a choice. I had fucked my life up so magnificently, nobody wanted me there. Husband and kids, guess what? Husband said, you're not you're not going to be around us. You're, you're I don't think you're ever going to get sober, and this is the end, and I'm taking these children, and you're not welcome anymore. Mm. And that and that was that. I had been a stay-at-home mom for nine years, and um, I went to rehab, and when I came out, I had no home, no children, and no husband. And that was true, and that was my reality. And I had to start again. And it was the most devastating, to this day, um, time in my life. And I didn't know what to do. And um, I I knew that I I didn't have, like I said, a place to be anymore. And, you know, my dad said, you know, Catherine, come, come home and stay with us. But my mom and I had a very, very, very complicated relationship, one in which she didn't want me around and I didn't want to be around. Um, And there was no way I was going to get sober there. She was a big fucking part of the problem. Mm -hmm, mm Okay. It wasn't, let's be real. Let's be honest. The mother daughter relationship that I had, I don't have a relationship with her anymore, but that I had with her was so fucking terrible that if I had gone there and tried to get sober, I would have failed again. i had failed over and over and over trying to do that. And my dad, you know, trying to wrap me up in his arms and say, let me support you. How can I support you? I'm sending you to rehab. I'll do anything. Let me support you. And everybody else in the family, siblings, mother, soon to be ex-husband saying, oh, no, 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 girl. Back it up. Back it up. You're not going to do it. You said it too many times. You've done this to us too many times. No way. Mm-mm. We're done. And they were. So it was up to me and it was up to my dad. and. I moved out to the Midwest, fortunately, I mean, this is just, it's the craziest thing. I met my husband within weeks of this, my now husband, we've been married for 10 years. Oh, wow. And um, I know, I know, and have t- we just had our second little boy together, so we have five total. But um, yeah, I mean, what, what started as this huge, huge, huge fucking loss in my life turned into the greatest blessings of my life because with this horribleness of losing my family, All of them, Mm -hmm. except for my dad, came this new birth and this relationship with my husband. I married him within six months. Everything they tell you not to do in AA, I did. (laughs) All of it. Take that, AA. Look at this. Ten years sober coming up in January, baby. So AA is not just, I mean, the rules of AA don't need to be so hard and fast for all of us. There are those of us that can make it work in our own way. And AA teaches us that we can't, um, in my experience. Yeah, but uh, in my experience, also, which is the only thing that I can speak to and from is, uh, you know, there are all kinds of ways to get sober. And I'm living proof of that. But I think the initial question was, do I have friends that drink and (laughs) out here? Yeah, I do. And the funny thing, though, is that 10 years later, and in the Midwest, the culture is different. The drinking culture is a little bit different out here. And I'm not so young anymore. So there aren't people that are like, inviting me to go out to the clubs and things like that. Like my babysitters go to the clubs. And I absolutely love living through them. Because number one, <laughs> I'm still not drinking. Right. <laughs> and number two, I get to see what they're wearing. And it's so awesome. But anyway, yeah, I, I do. I have friends that drink, but not quite as much. I mean, it just seems like the whole culture out here is a little bit different. It's not a 10 a.m. on the boat type of a situation. Not, not with the life that I'm living out here anyway. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there mm-hmm. are people here that, you know, have the same kind of lifestyle that I did on the East Coast. And maybe it's because I did get sober out here. And so the right. community that I've met and surrounded myself with, nice. they're just more like-minded. And I have friends that will drink a cocktail or two but truly, I honestly i I don't I can't think of the last time that I hung out with someone that got you know, totally shit based <laughs> and I, not that I, yeah, man, I just I really can't think of it. and to me now, I mean i I have one one friend that occasionally does by accident, and I'm saying that because she will drink two and a half cocktails and be, you know, yeah, completely shit based, which is I find as an alcoholic to be hysterical, because, right? You Wouldn't know, even I scratch
0: could, the surface,
1: <laughs> bitch. Please, right. I mean, I was on a, a fifth of a fifth of whiskey a, a night. Like they have this thing on the East Coast at UVA, fifth years drink a fifth. Oh, please! It, I, I, and I thought about it all the time. And that's another way that I was justifying what I was doing at times. But, You know, my husband was gone. He was he traveled for work, and so he was traveling all the time. And I was at home with three little kids by myself. I wasn't living in a place where my family was. I had friends that were supportive, of course, but they had their own lives. They had their own children. You know, I mean, what are you going to do? Come over and help me every night? It's not your job. Exactly. And it just got, that's how I think all of this started is it got really, really, really hard and I couldn't cope. And um, and my marriage was slowly falling apart at the same time. I, I think that my drinking was definitely a part of the problem in the marriage, but I also think that it was a, a huge symptom you know, I was coping with the problems that I was unwilling to really admit were, were mm-hmm. going on, you know, and drinking myself to sleep. I'd put the kids to bed and, you know, they were young. So when they're in bed by 745, eight o'clock, and then you're a grown-up, So, yep. you know, you still have lots of hours to while away. You're sad, you're lonely. You know, there's really no one there. You, you're not really sure what's going on you know, in your marriage, and I, I wasn't really sure what was going on. And I knew it probably wasn't good. And I knew that he was probably not, not, I don't know, he was on his way out. And maybe I was on my way out, too. And mm-hmm. it, it was nobody's fault. It was just one of those things that was happening. And, um, and I wasn't wasn't dealing with it. And so I was taking the fifth whiskey and I could drink. I, I mean, I'm, I'm not a 47 a year old linebacker, you know, I was a right. small housewife lady mm-hmm. drinking that much. I would wake up in places in my house. I don't know where the fuck I've been, what the Aww. fuck I've been doing. Like, I, yeah, man. And and when you wake up and you have at three in the morning and you have three little kids in yeah. bed, you know, I started to scare myself because I knew that I would never hurt one of my children. Right. I There wasn't anything like that, but I knew that were one of my children to wake up or um need me Mm -hmm. and at this point in my disease i don't they wouldn't have been able to wake me up they just wouldn't have you know and it just got to a point where i knew that i was really in trouble
0: yeah yeah did your husband at the time, was he a drinker as well? Or was it?
1: Yeah, like socially? Yeah. He, or what was his just alcohol, a social drinker? Like? Yeah. yeah, I mean, he, he was just a social drinker, very well moderated, very well controlled. I mean, and the thing is, is that we were both the life of the party together. Like mm-hmm. when we went somewhere, people were stoked, because they knew yeah. we were going to be there. And like, Shit, girl, I can talk to a brick wall without anything, okay? It's not, can you imagine me? I'm kind of getting that from
0: you. Yeah, like...
1: (laughs) Me on three glasses of wine, it's like, oh my God, do you have two weeks, right? And then things are going to get dangerous because we're going to start like dancing and, you know, trying things that perhaps we shouldn't. I don't know, you know? I mean, yeah, there's a lot of damage on my body from really bad decisions when drinking, but... (laughs) Yeah, he was. Um, he 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 drank, but he was a completely normal drinker. I mean, mm-hmm. no, this man was had no had no issues whatsoever. I mean, yeah.
0: really, in any way, so just a totally you, normal.
1: Do you situation. feel like because
0: of that? So you said he's out. He 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 was going out of town a lot and all of that. So do you feel like when he was around, you kind of didn't drink oh, yeah. as much, and then oh, when well. he was gone, like how long did it take for him to kind of figure out? all right, she's overdoing this.
1: Like this isn't just for fun anymore. Steph, I love that question. Yeah, it's so important to answer. Um, So I guess I had been sort of hiding the amount that I was drinking from him for probably six months. And he had seen the writing on the wall, you know, because even at cut, we went out every single weekend. We were going to a party or an event or a tailgate or something three Mm -hmm. nights a week Mm -hmm. and he he was noticing that my consumption was going up while we were at those events because it was getting harder for me to even hide from him how much because i needed more i Mm -hmm. like three glasses of wine what a joke that's doing nothing to me bitch i'm gonna drink that while i'm in the shower and blow dry my hair like that's not gonna help me in any regard and so he was noticing that and I don't think that I was noticing him noticing that because what I started doing was, you know, when we were at an event or at a party or something like that, I would go off to the side and, you know, take three shots real quick, like three shots, give it to me in a tumbler, no ice, no water, you know, come on me. Like, I'll give you a, a 50, just hit, yeah. hit it. Right. Like, right. <laughs> you know, and so that's the kind of relationship that I was developing with alcohol. And he was noticing that and you know he would say things to me here and there and he would just get more annoyed with me than anything because again he had no substance abuse reference whatsoever at all in his life prior to this at all so he was seeing his young wife that he married who knew how to behave slowly you know turn into maybe the not as young anymore wife eight years later, who is starting to have a little bit too much at the cocktail party. And people are starting to sort of whisper about, and maybe Mm -hmm. did you see Catherine was it getting sloppy notice Catherine? No, that's the thing is I was so, I was so well restrained. I was so, I had such a great button on it Mm -hmm. that even if I would, you know, say a comment here or there, talk out of turn, things like that. I would be able to hold my shit together just enough until those Louis Vuitton slippers stepped into the car. And then Mm -hmm. that's when things would fall. Oh, girl. So he saw
0: the, he would see the coming down, like, okay, I don't have to put on the show anymore. Like you really let the drunkness settle in. A thousand
1: percent. Yes. It was the show. I was on display when I was out and I was having difficulty maintaining that completely even then. But then the second, either the party was over, or the cocktail was over, that's when I knew that I was okay to relax a bit and shit got real, And but I, couldn't, I also couldn't stop drinking. So by the time we got back in the car and I was already wasted, I had booze in the car still. So I was mm-hmm. continuing there. And by that time, I mean, there were times that I fell out of the, I mean, I would fall out of the car weekly by the end, man. I mean, nobody saw this part, though. My husband right. did. But right. nobody else saw this part. I was falling out of the car, you know. I was, um, one time he was so pissed at me that I guess I'd passed out on the way home. We were We had come home from a friend's 30th birthday party, one of my very closest friends in the whole world. I don't remember the end of the party. It was this magnificent, like, five-star, beautiful, like, I want to say almost gala dinner for this woman. And um, like I said, she was one of my best friends. And I, I don't remember leaving. Um, I know the next day shit hit the fan really, like for the first time, really majorly. But I woke up in the front seat of the car with my seatbelt still on at like five in the morning.
0: So he just left you in the car.
1: Yeah, he was like, mm-hmm. fuck you. Mm-hmm. And th- the babysitter had come out and seen me passed oh, out in fuck. the car. Yeah, man. And that's when I was like, no, fuck you. You're my husband. I need mm-hmm. your fucking help right now. Mm-hmm. I need some fucking help. Help me. What do you think this is, man? This is me having mm-hmm. fun. Do you right. think me being passed out in the car and not being able to control myself and not remembering my homegirl's 30th birthday party that I've been looking forward to for weeks? You know, do you think that 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 this looks fun? Wh- wh- right. What the fuck? Right. And he was like, Nope, I'm out. Fuck you. I'm done. Let's humiliate you. He wanted me to be humiliated. And I was, yeah. Oh, Oh yeah. By the yeah. end there was no let's help. Let's get help. I mean, it was just fuck you. And and that was it. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. So
0: when you went, so you said you've, you tried a couple times some rehabs that didn't work. Yeah
1: there and they were super close together. So um uh, by the time that I had had the one the story that I just told you when I was left in yeah. the car until five in the morning, I had gone to an outpatient rehab before that, okay? And post outpatient rehab, um I stayed sober for maybe three weeks. And, you know, just slowly started sneaking it back in. And this party that I'm talking about, I was supposed to be sober there the whole time. I was drinking w- not water in my glass. It was vodka. But Nobody people thought it was it.
0: water. Like people thought Everybody, you were were not dr- people sober. Didn't think you were drinking.
1: Oh no. They knew I was Holy by the shit. end. But well, yeah, yeah but water. I was started out sober there. Yes. Yeah. This is where I was supposed to be sober. And this is why my husband at the time in the car was like, fuck you. Oh my because God. I was still Catherine. supposed to be sober. Yeah, so I'm telling you, it was pretty bad. Yeah.
0: What do like you my think? Story though? Is like, Very
1: serious. <laughs> it
0: is serious. And <laughs> what do you think caused that? Like, so what's the mindset at the time? Right? Because I know, yeah, you know, now right. looking back, yeah. it's all about mindset, right? We all know there has to be this switch in our head for us to finally get sober. So that for, you know, going to that party and everything, like where was your head at to where you just were like, fuck it. I'm drinking vodka.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So this is, that's such a great question. I'm so glad you asked. I was afraid. I, I had tried to get sober and, you know, done the outpatient and all through the outpatient rehab, I had been saying to my husband, please tell me, that if I am able to make this work, if I'm able to do this, please tell me that we'll still have a marriage at the end. And to be quite honest, Steph, I I didn't love this man anymore. I, I resented him. Um, and I, I think I was starting to hate him a little bit. Um, but I needed to stay married to him because I had three little kids mm-hmm. and yeah i was a stay at home mom and this was the life that i had very very carefully cultivated for myself who he was didn't really fucking matter anymore i just needed him there and um and i needed support and i needed help and i was looking for it to him, you know from him mm-hmm. because he was my husband and um and i i i wanted to know that he was going to be there in the end that i would come out of it with a marriage and he wouldn't tell me that he kept oh. telling me, "I I don't know. We'll see. I don't know. We'll 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 just have to see. I really don't know." And things like that. And I don't know if he knew or not. Um, I think he did know, and I think he was going to be done. I, I I think deep down he knew that, but um, but he kept saying, "I don't know." So I was kind of like a a little worm on a hook, and I was just chasing. I wasn't so much chasing sobriety as I was the life that I had, and. Trying to do anything that I could to desperately keep it, you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. my kids were so important to me that I, obviously, they're, your whole fuck your whole fucking life, yes. you know that that I didn't know what I would do if I lost them. So it wasn't even him that I it was it had less to do, like I said, with who he was, more in the fact that I needed him to stay exactly where he was. Because I needed my babies because no one is going to fucking take them. He was the key no to one. your children.
0: Yeah. You knew. Exa- he
1: was the gatekeeper.
0: Like he, yeah. Like he was, he could hold that over you
1: hostage, bitch. Yes. He was holding them hostage Right, is what that was. Yep. And he did and he did and, and it all happened. And uh, so, yeah, so the whole time that I was in this outpatient rehab, I was just terrified that I was going to lose these kids because again, Steph, that was the threat. If you don't, I'm taking them. That's, Mm -hmm. that doesn't work. That's not how you're going to get sober. It doesn't work. And 10 years ago, maybe we didn't know that. Now, uh, mind you, this was 12 years ago now. So 12 years ago, Mm -hmm. we didn't know nearly as much about the sober movement, sobriety, like everything that we know now. We just didn't know. And I know that 12 years ago doesn't seem like that long, but things were really different in the sober world back then. AA told me, if you don't do it this way, you will fail. Do you know what my counselor told my dad? if she disrespects these 12 steps, if she doesn't do it like this, she'll be dead in a year. Told my dad that. Yeah. She no did longer your, works at did the that rehab. Did
0: freak your dad, at,
1: dad out? Yes, it freaked my dad out. he probably oh, he didn't know was... any better. I've seen my dad cry twice in my life. And that was one of the two times. The other time was when his father died. It was really fucked. Jesus. This woman really, it was crazy. And they really thought that. She really believed that if I disrespected the way the program was laid out, that I would be dead in a year. I mean, she was trying to help. She was trying Mm -hmm. to say to my dad, don't let this woman do anything that doesn't have everything to do with the 12 steps. Like if she's not journaling and if she's not saying that she's sorry, and if she's not, you know, and people kept coming up to me being like, where's my fucking apology? And I'd be like, I'm not there yet. Like, stop. coming up to me, like 12 stepping me, you know what I mean? Like, Ooh. yeah, this whole thing happened. It was so, oh my God, because again, 12 years ago, it was like AA was the way. And right. I mean, it's the only way, right? Nobody it was the only way. else. No, there was nothing else. There was, there was just nothing else. And I, and I would know because I tried everything. I was doing outpatient rehabs, inpatient rehabs, you know, um, therapy, family therapy, private therapy, um, all the therapies, shit hypnotherapy. Okay, I did everything (laughs) equine therapy. I mean, I literally did it all. And none of it was working. And um, yeah, so the the reason that I was drinking again, right after that. I mean, it was right after that outpatient therapy. And I swear to God, I really do think if that outpatient therapy group had gone for maybe a year, it was only a seven week program. Mm. Maybe I would have maybe things would have been a little bit different for me. I had a group in those people, I had to go there every night from 6pm to 9pm, five nights a week, I had to go there. And I had to show up and I had to talk to these people. And I had to remain sober during the hours where it was the hardest for me. And so During like my major triggering hours, I was sitting in a group setting with 12 other men and women that were struggling with the same thing that I was. And back then, 12 years ago, it was hard to find 12 people sitting in a room that weren't in an AA, you know, meeting where we were all like, I need help, man. I fucked up. Listen to what I did. Like, oh my God, like listen to what I did and be able to go in there and share your shame, man, because that's what it was. Alcoholism was a dirty word. It's still a dirty word. Mm -hmm. In the United States, alcoholism is still a dirty word. There's a nasty connotation with that. And, you know, I know a lot of friends, uh, someone that you've had on um, the other podcasts, they have said, I don't like the word alcoholic. And for me, I'm okay with it. It's safety for me because that means, you know that that's off limits for me. I'm okay with the word for me because I label myself that, you know, mm-hmm. but I'm mm-hmm. not, you know, you can tell on my page, on my Instagram page, I refer to it as alcohol use disorder because I'm very aware that not everybody refers to it as the same thing. You know, I like my label because I feel, I hide behind it, you know, mm-hmm. and and I, and I like that. And I'm confident in saying that um, because here's, you know, another caveat to how I started drinking that night um, with the like oduls and all the whatever. the NAs, that, Yeah. I, yeah. The NAs I used to put real alcohol in it so that when mm-hmm. I was walking around at a party, everybody thought that I was drinking, um, non-alcoholic beer, which back to, back to your initial question is what I was doing at this party that night is mm-hmm. everybody thought that I was drinking water and non-alcoholic drinks, but In the back of my mind, I had this fear, I'm not gonna come out, even if I do get sober, I'm not gonna come out of this with a marriage. And Mm -hmm. so I did just slowly start drinking again, because again, my, my sober support was gone. Those 12 people that I'd been sitting with for seven weeks, I started drinking three weeks or so after that group ended. I didn't have those people anymore. All I had was a list of AA meetings, right? right? I had a list of 30 different AA meetings every night. I lived in a city, I could go to 30 different, but it wasn't the same. And I didn't have these people telling me like, you're right, you're right in your grief. Yeah. You're right in your fear. You're right, Catherine, your husband is not probably gonna stick around. I would go in there and cry and say, I don't think he loves me anymore. I think I'm too far gone. I think that this is just too fucked up. I think he's going to take my kids no matter what I do. And you know what? I was right. So I was right in the end. And I can't blame him. I really can't. I want to be very clear on that. I Mm -hmm. wish him nothing but the best. No shade. Mm -hmm. He Mm -hmm. took care of my children when I was not able to do it. And um, I was very sick at the end. Mm -hmm. Uh, it, Mm -hmm. It was my disease progressed step to a place that if you look at me today, if you look at my Instagram account, you would never believe that it was me. Um, I wouldn't believe that it was me. Wow. But uh, but yeah, I, I think that the fear of losing my family was mm-hmm. so, so intense and so ever present. It was at the forefront of every thought that I had. And that would lead me to drink, which is so sick because Yeah, but But alcohol wants you to be
0: alone. That's the thing, right? Oh, yeah. It's not like like what Uh, I hear and everything you just told me is you lost your community that was keeping you sober because we all know now, even the Instagram community, even though these are people I have never met in real life, they help Mm -hmm. keep me sober. They help keep me in check. same. Those moments that I feel alone because what happens is as soon as you feel alone, alcohol, the old friend alcohol is always there to to take it away. And it sounds like that's exactly what happened. Like you lost your community. Now you feel alone because you don't have your community. You feel alone because you're losing your marriage. You're going to possibly lose your kids, but guess what's there waiting for you to help just take it all those fears and all that sadness. away. And it's
1: immediate. And it's It's immediate.
0: immediate. Yep, And when you're addicted, it's so easy to go back.
1: So oh, I mean, yeah. And that was the thing is that the feelings were so real and they were so hard. And all of a sudden I don't have my group anymore and yeah. everybody else's business as usual. And in addition, my husband did not choose to stop drinking in front of me, uh, sure. nor did any of my family members. Right. And so everywhere I went, it was everywhere. Yeah. And I was just like, you know, I, I, am going to lose this marriage anyway. And I fucking gave up and it was so hard. It it's was a fuck it button. Like- yep. I did. I I knew I knew what was going to happen anyway. And I knew that by this time, even if I did get sober, and I was able to stay sober for a few months at a time, which at that time seemed impossible. um, I was still going to lose it all anyway. And where was I going to live? And where was I going to go? I was a stay at home mom, I hadn't financially planned for anything. And even with selling our house, because that's what you do when you get divorced. And I have funds from that and things like that. But my dad, God bless him. Um, he passed suddenly four years ago of a heart attack. It was oh, like, thank sorry. God, I'd been sober for five years when yeah. he when he died. But um, oh, he, yeah, I know that was like the. Thank God, I'd been sober for five years, right? Really? Yeah. Yeah, he was my. Yeah, he was my uh, number one. Yeah, sounds like it. So, but my dad had make, made sure he took all of the money that I got from the sale of the house, everything like that. And he held it. He was an attorney and he was like, this, she's, she's going to make bad decisions with this. So I need to take care of this for her. Um, and thank God he did that. But yeah, I mean, I think the loneliness, the isolation, the not really having the community anymore. Um, and not being able to go to the only community that I knew I couldn't go back to hanging out with the friends that I was hanging out with. I couldn't go to brunch anymore. I couldn't go do these things. Everybody knew that I was trying to get sober. So it was, you know, every I lost that community, the drinking community, and then I lost the sober community. And back then, 11, 12 years ago, when all of this journey started for me, there were no apps, there was no Instagram there, you know, there was yeah. Facebook, but you didn't put this shit on no. there. Hell, Hell no. no. <laughs> not only that, I was a Southern housewife. I was, I, I, I wore pearls and my blonde hair was perfectly coiffed and I, all of my dresses were tailored to a T. I didn't dare be a, an alcoholic. That is shame. I did not dare. Right. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I had to be, no way. I mean, I was, I was a dirty word. I was yep. a problem. I was a problem and I needed to be removed.
0: Mm-hmm. And I was. Yeah. All right, so let's let's fast forward then to when it stuck. What? Right. When? Where were you at? Like when you went into that rehab mentally? Yeah. Like
1: so. So it actually stuck after the ninety days in rehab. It didn't stick right after that. But mm-hmm. I met my husband, my now husband uh, in like rehab I said, almost. Well. Not in rehab, but while I was there. Okay. During, yeah. (laughs) Which is also a huge AA no no, right?
0: Breaking all the rules. Catherine's like, you just give me the rules and I will show you how to not do them.
1: (laughs) This is what my ex husband and current husband both tell people about me that Catherine thinks rules don't apply. And number one, let me say, I do know that the rules apply to me. I'm just really fucking bad at following them. Okay. It's not that I'm trying to break y'all's rules, it's just that. I'm extremely stubborn. And until I figure out if they're gonna work for me or not, it's just not gonna happen. Right. And look, it worked for me. I married him 10 years later. It worked for me, right? So yeah. everybody, shit. Yes. Anyway, but yes, I broke the rules. Actually, you know, want to know what's really funny is that they found out in rehab that I broke the rules two days before I was supposed to graduate and get this beautiful medallion. Hold on, it gets better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've been in rehab for 87 days and I've made all of these really good friends. Like all of us are there together. You're living with these people. You, You do everything with these people, everything. They know, see, they know things about you that like, no one knows this is a huge deal. And so you want that medallion. I know this sounds really silly, but that medallion to me was like, I have made it like I've done this and there's a big ceremony and everybody comes and like, it's a big deal. It's like graduation times a hundred, right? Because right. you had to really, you had to save your life to get there. Yeah. And they found out, they found out. So I didn't have a place to live, right? When I was getting ready to get out of the 90 days of rehab, I had nowhere to live. My my parents said, oh, wait for it. My mom said, no, she can't come here. And I said, no, I, I don't think that's a good idea. And my dad was saying, oh my God, what are we going to do? She's my baby. Where is she going to go? You know, my ex-husband, we were divorcing. He didn't want me. But I had just met my new husband and he was like, well, um, it seems like you're in a tough spot. Like this is completely random, but I mean, you can, you can come live with me. Um, and I was like, uh, I mean, okay, God, And honestly, what, what the fuck did I have to lose at that point? I right. knew that he wasn't, a, he was, he was a physician. I know that he, I knew that he wasn't a serial killer. I had yeah. seen his medical school references. I know this man is what he says he is. So, you know, I took him up on it. And that was in the Midwest. So it was the most amazing coincidence that my ex-husband was then moving to the Midwest with my children. All of us ended up here, not not for the exact same circumstances, but all of us ended up here. And then I actually, of course, ended up moving exactly to where my ex-husband was taking my children so that I could then start fighting for custody, which I did. And it took me 18 months and I got my got my babies. But Yay. um yeah that took a minute but uh and it but it was worth every every second every everything i mean i i had to get my life back first though right but um so um they found out that i'd broken the rules two days before the and and they kicked they kicked me out um right then and there that i was moving in with my now husband was against the rules because i had met him while i was there and they came to me my dad was on the phone with the therapist and said, um, they said, have you guys decided where Catherine's gonna live? And he said, Oh, she's met this wonderful doctor and she's gonna be moving in with him. And we're not really psyched about that. But you know, I mean I've met him and and they were like, When did she meet this doctor? And daddy was like oh well sometime when she was there and they were like right then literally literally Steph, they came and got me from the group room that i was in and they were like pack your shit get Shut out up. And, I like, and i was no i swear to god i was like what happened what are you talking about like i haven't drunk i haven't broken any rules and they were like um who are you gonna go live with after this and i was like oh right then So who've you been talking to? Yeah. And of course everyone in rehab knew my whole group knew everybody knew about this relationship that I had now been cultivating the whole time because we were honest in there, but obviously it was against the rules and they kicked me out two days before I got my medallion. Never got it. No, you um, didn't get the medallion. No, they kicked me out. They said I was a rehab failure. I didn't get it, but you know what actually speaks to the sober community um, really, really, really highly is, those women and men that were in there were so pissed about what happened to me that I was mailed. Three, three of them gave me theirs. Shut up. Yeah. Oh. I worked my ass off in that place, man. And I deserved it. And it was bullshit. And yeah, I broke a rule and shame on me, man. I shouldn't have done it. But also they put me in a position in, in that case where I couldn't be honest with the therapist about where, I was going to go because it was against the rules and where else was I supposed to go? Right. My mother suggested a halfway house uh-huh. and I just did not feel that that was going to mm-hmm. be a good fit for me. All right. Mm-hmm. What the fuck? Mm-hmm. I, I need to, what the f- actual fuck lady. Yeah. That was her suggestion was a halfway house. I think it was also partially a means of humiliation for me to, um, sure. to, sh- I mean, she, she did not think much of me. Uh, doesn't still to this day yeah. <laughs> feelings mutual. Um, But yeah, so I wasn't going to go to a halfway house, my options were limited. And my now husband said, come and stay with me. And so we were, I was living in the Midwest with him, my kids were still in Virginia, they were on their way to the Midwest, but I had no visitation privileges with them whatsoever. Everything was completely left up to my ex-husband. I didn't even have representation. I didn't even have a lawyer. My dad was a lawyer. So they were saying, Catherine, you don't need a lawyer. We'll take care of you. We'll take care of this. Um, and it didn't work out like that. I did end up meeting a lawyer, um, and I ended up having to fight a lot harder than anybody thought I would. The understanding was, if Catherine gets sober, um, I'll be reasonable, and we'll start sharing the kids. And Catherine did get sober, mm-hmm. and that didn't happen. And then I relapsed. So I had only been sober—I want to say for like three or four months. It was something like that. But my visitation was supposed to increase. I was flying back to Virginia as often as anyone would let me. Um, you know we, my husband and I were just not, we weren't married yet, but we got married very quickly, six months, six months into meeting. Um, we're doing everything that we could to, to see the kids, do the kids, any, anything that they wanted, um, supervised visitation, like anything. And, uh, I still wasn't getting the visitation that I was promised. And I, I thought, you know, it was one night and I was out, in the Midwest and my kids were in Virginia and I thought, what is this gonna hurt? You know, they're there, I'm here and I'm so lonely and I'm so sad and I'm still not getting this visitation. And I I just allowed it to come back and I I drank and um, that started another cycle for me, Steph. I had been sober for several months and then it started another cycle for me. And that lasted for uh, about five months on and off. And of course my visitation was still the same. My children had now moved to the Midwest and we were all living so close together now that it was just a drive. Um, but oh, I still wow. didn't have okay. any, yeah, it was, it was great. The way that that worked out was pretty miraculous. I, you know, I'm, I'm someone that believes in God. And I, I know that he did that for me as a, as a gift because he knew that I needed a break. Mm-hmm. And, uh, cause I hadn't gotten many, I hadn't gotten many, um, at that time, but I did get that break where they ended up so close to me that I could. I could drive to them. And by this point, the kids and I had not lived in the same house in, I guess about 10 months. And I was only seeing them when my ex-husband was allowing me to. And finally, I, you know, I, I finally figured out that I was never going to get what I wanted in that way. And I, well, I thought I'd figured it out. And so I was just pretty hopeless about it. Um, and uh, yeah. And I, I, slowly but surely there wasn't one big event that drew me back into it but when i finally got sober i had decided that i was going to quit just no matter what I was going to quit my husband found me a great therapist i was seeing her i really enjoyed seeing her i was seeing her three times a week and when i wasn't seeing her i was going to this group of women it wasn't an aa meeting it was it was more like a network of women who had suffered uh, losses or things like that. And I hadn't suffered losses in the way that some of them had, but I had in the in the sense that I didn't have my children with me. And that was my trauma was and, it and, you know, some might say this is self inflicted. And maybe it was, but you know, my alcoholism was the thing that was keeping me from them. And so I needed to get a handle on that if I was going to have them back in my life. And I understood that. Um, and so slowly, but surely, I was able to get start getting sober. And i had been sober for maybe Five and a half months, my longest and ever, when I found out that I was pregnant with my fourth child, my first son with my husband. Mm-hmm. And it um was the most incredible blessing ever. We were not expecting his presence. And when I found out, you know I'd been sober for five months, and I had been sober ever since I I just, it wasn't some big dramatic sobriety thing. You know, I had already done all that drama. I mean, I had more drama in my drinking career than most people have, I think in a fucking lifetime. Mm -hmm. And um, I was done with it. And yeah, I, you know, slowly, but surely I just ended up getting sober. And I will tell you, I, I know why I know how I got sober. I know how it finally stuck. The 90 days in rehab helped because it gave me the understanding of what I needed to do and how I needed to do it. It showed me the regimented patterns that I needed to adopt. And it showed me the things that I needed to do, like go to bed kind of early because otherwise I might be tempted to stay up and like maybe get online. And then when you see shit and then you start drinking. So like probably that wasn't a good place for me. So I ended my Facebook account 10 years ago and I don't have one anymore. Um, And then you just spiral down into that whole disaster zone and want to drink. So yeah. I haven't ever had a Facebook account, um, again, but I, yeah, I think that progression of, okay, maybe every single day I can do this a little bit, but the two things that got me sober, there were two people and that was my dad never once gave up on me. He always said, I know you're going to do this. And my current husband, my current husband said to me, I, you know, I fucked up a lot with him. Oh my God. Like I would drink and say the craziest shit do the craziest shit and i would call my ex-husband and freak out on him and leave messages on his answering machine about what a horrible dick he was and how much i fucking hated him and wanted to burn his house down and guess what guess what uh, those were answering machine days guess what like right play. guess who was all around for that yeah my kids. right so, yeah everyone's hearing mom and mom's crazy and Catherine's a mm-hmm. psycho Catherine wasn't a psycho <laughs> i was drunk I was yeah. drunk and I was sick and I needed help. And yeah. my husband was like, I'm not giving up on you. I know you can do this. There's something in there. I know you can. And he knew I can't, could. And I remember like crying, drunk, just like wasted shit face in my husband's arms. I'd thrown up everywhere, whatever. He didn't give a shit. And he was like, baby, we are going to beat this disease. This is not taking you down. I know you can do this. I know you can. I had just done the worst things, you know, just. I mean, not the worst things, but terrible things. And no one would have blamed him. No one would have blamed this new husband of mine if he had been like, holy shit, that other guy was right. This girl is a train wreck. If he had done that. And in fact, I had a family member that called him and said, cut your losses and get out. Wow. Don't marry her. Yeah, that was my mom. Cut your losses. Get out. Don't marry her. Yeah. And um, he was like, wow, I appreciate the feedback, but I'm all in. We're good. Yeah. Bye. Damn. Bye. Yeah. Damn. So, um, yeah, and he stuck by me, and that's I think why I'm sober today because and I had a couple of girlfriends that actually stuck by me the whole time, too. um, yeah, Morgan and Katie, and another one named Heather who got sober a couple of years before me, but we had very similar um drinking patterns, too. So, and she's been sober now for like twelve years too. Um, but yeah, i I, I finally got sober because there was somebody who literally Never stopped believing in me, and that's why I'm sober today. And it's because someone said, "I won't give up on you." As many as many times as you fuck up, as many times as you tell me you hate me, and you know all you want is your kids, and you don't care about anybody but them, and you're crying, and you're a disaster, and you're a nightmare. And I never know when I leave for the hospital if I'm going to come back to you passed out or whatever. And and that's true, he didn't because the again the after after I relapsed once I moved to the Midwest it was game on again and you don't start from the beginning you start from where you ended last time so like I was already in a place where I'm blacking out every single time I'm passing out every single time I'm leaving horrible messages every single time so every single person is getting the worst of the worst of me every time and that's what he dealt with but he he stuck through it and um and he and my dad both knew that i would would make it, and they were right. And it was crazy because there were times that I really didn't believe him. But he just gave me this faith that i I would be able to get my children back. And when I got pregnant with my fourth, and I, I had that hope, and i had I knew that I knew that, okay, this is this is a true chance. All of this is a true chance to rebuild everything so I think I was just really also very 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 fortunate in some of the circumstances that ended up going my way I mean to end up meeting a man who's not a psychopath who's going to let me move in with him this drunk woman that he kind of knows but not really you know what I mean I mean he had met my dad but really what do you know about me you found me in a rehab bro how good could this be right (laughs) I mean it was crazy I had friends that wouldn't even come to our wedding because they were like bitch please. I am oh not like seriously. Neither one of my brothers-in-law came to my wedding. They were I mean everybody was just like this is a joke. And you know like I said 10 years y'all. What what a joke. I, I I still knew some stuff. There was still I was still in there. But because I was an alcoholic and because I was suffering so out loud because the end of my disease was so in your face, everybody thought I was crazy about everything all the time. So of course why when I decide to get married to someone I have known for six months, would it work out? But fortunately it did. And like I said, we, we just actually seven months ago had our second son together. Um, uh. But yeah, 10 years later it's worked and, and, um and I've, I've remained sober the whole time. And I, I do credit it to finally having um, a community that really wasn't going to give up on me. And he was not easy on me. I had my husband, My now husband would do things like when he left in the morning, I would be allowed to have a cell phone, but I didn't have keys. Like I didn't have car keys because he knew that I couldn't be trusted to not drive to go get some alcohol. You know, I didn't, I mean, I was on Like he had to seriously uh, limit what I could do. And it was crazy. Like even my mother-in-law was like, oh my gosh, like she's too young for you to put these restrictions on her right now. Like no car, sometimes even no phone. Um, no, I had no credit cards, no cash, none at all. And this is only while my husband was at the hospital because he could not risk me going out, getting Mm shit-faced and Mm -hmm. doing something that could potentially kill me or, and I didn't have a tendency to drink and drive, but who knows, um, or somebody else. And that lasted for a few months. And I I really do think that was part of the reason that I was able to stay sober too, because he made it nearly impossible, truly Steph, like, and I was Mm -hmm. crafty. Oh my gosh. Mm. Like I was super crafty with how I could get money and all kinds of things. Like, oh my God, I would like save change. I have, I found when, when we moved out of our house and uh, the, before our current house, I found bags of quarters because I would, when, when yeah, when we would go places and have change, I would always take the quarters because I would know that someday I'm going to need these to buy booze and no one's going to know that I have money. So like, I had gone to these lengths to make sure that I would never not be able to feed wow. this terrible, terrible habit that I had, and of course I'd forgotten about them long ago, and and all of that. But um, yeah, I mean it was so intense that that my husband had to make these kind of rules, and and there were, condi- you know, that was a condition. Listen, babe, I love you, and I I want you in my life for the rest of my life but can you respect this boundary that I'm going to put in place today? I know it sounds harsh and I know it seems controlling, but I think you need me to help, help you. And with mm-hmm. that comes control. And, you know, he would never, certainly have never done it. If I'd been like, no, you can't take my key. you know, it mm-hmm. wouldn't have been like right. that, but I was at, I needed, I needed help. Obviously I was desperate. I was crying yeah. out for help. And for I feel like the times. whole t-
0: yeah. Like this whole time, all of this that you're sharing with me, even back into your first marriage when your first husband left you in the car, like you said, <laughs> I needed help. I need you to help yeah. me. And yeah. so it's different for everyone, right? Some people might be listening to this and hear you saying all that and be like, damn. But it sounds like that's it. He knew exactly what you needed. Like you said, you weren't like fighting it. You were like, Yes, do that. I can't trust myself. Like this oh, is yeah. how you're oh, going to God. help me.
1: Please help me. Yeah. I can't, right. I couldn't take care of myself. Right. I mean, I could not trust myself and I knew it. And that's a scary, scary thought. Like when you actually, it's just like being mentally ill. Like if you had schizophrenia and you knew like when it rains, I don't know a whole lot about schizophrenia. Maybe it's a bad reference. I should have chosen something I know more about. But <laughs> if it rains, you know that you're going to turn into Laura. Right. Then, oh my God, when it rains, I need someone to be home with me so that right. I don't think I'm Laura and I go out and because do something Laura, does Laura does would crazy do that Catherine wouldn't do. Right, right. right. Um, you know what I mean? Right. Laura mm-hmm. does crazy shit. Mm -hmm. So my husband was keeping me from being Laura, you know what I mean? And I knew that I needed your help to do that. Like you have to lock me the fuck up so that Mm -hmm. I'm not going to keep damaging myself. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And he did. And it, and it worked. And, um, but he did it with love and he did it with Mm -hmm. really tough love. And there's a huge Mm -hmm. difference. And I want to be really clear here because I think it's something that's really important. And a lot of the family members and a lot of the Al-Anon folks and, um, you know, anybody that's listening to this, that, has a family member who is the one that's sick. We understand that what we are doing is really, really bad. We know, we know how bad we are. I knew how bad I was. I hated myself. I didn't want to do it, you know? And I understand that the family members that are watching us do this don't understand that we know how bad we are and they think that we're choosing this and you know, that it's, why can't you just stop? I I, I wish I could answer that question. I've never been able to. Um, But in order to support us and help get us out of it for me, the only thing that worked for me was love. It wasn't, it wasn't and I have this on my page. It wasn't the quote tough love. It was just fucking love. My husband taking my keys, my husband taking my phone, my husband blocking the woman that I had met who would bring me booze. Uh, My husband going to all of our neighbors, knocking on their doors and saying, my wife is an alcoholic. Do not give her alcohol. Oh, God, well, Kat had come over here and she had asked for, right. And I'm telling you, my wife is an alcoholic. Don't give her alcohol. And of course, I was humiliated, but I needed him to do it. And then, you know, through my sobriety, I was able to really appreciate it. But that all came from love. That wasn't him going up and being like, listen, my wife's a fucking disaster. And she's an alcoholic and don't give her anything. It wasn't like that. He was loving me completely by going to my neighbors and being like, listen, my wife has a real problem. And, and please don't please don't give this to her because It's killing her. And I know that y'all are good friends, but I want you to understand that this is what she's suffering from. And I'll tell you, nobody judged me. Those neighbors didn't judge me. They sympathized with my husband and they were like, Oh man, we didn't know. We're so sorry. And he's like, no, that's okay. She's not going to tell you. And um, she knows that, you know, now, but she's not ready to talk about it. But, but I needed to tell you for her safety. Mm -hmm. And all of that came from love, you know, and there's a big difference in saying, you're going to go to rehab and fuck you then listen, babe, we're going to go to rehab. I'm going to do the family program with you. I'm I'm going to take this alcohol out of the house. I'm not, we're not going to go to the cocktail parties anymore. This isn't just your problem because my first round at recovery, it was just my problem. Bitch, we were still going to all the tailgates, still all the parties, all the galas, all the cocktail parties. And if I didn't show up, then I was a party pooper. If I didn't show up, it was, oh, you can't go without alcohol. No, I fucking can't. I can't and that's my reality right now i'm a new like brand new in recovery don't Mm -hmm. ask me to go to a cocktail party and put on a dress and go and walk around and pretend like everything's okay which is what i was trying to do and it didn't work it just didn't work so once i was removed completely from that environment that's how things were able to turn around i had to move across the country like i had everything had to change and my ex-husband like god bless him Honestly, there was nothing he could have done. There was nothing he could have done. This was doomed from the start, honey. This didn't have anything to do with me or with him. This was a cosmic thing. And I want to be very clear again that I I don't blame him. I don't blame my mother. I don't blame anyone else for my alcoholism. But what I'm trying to illustrate here is that when a family member needs help, when they are starting to go to recovery... If there's any kind of anger still towards that family member, and there will be, you need to find someone, a family member who isn't so pissed. You need to find a family member who's going to be able to support them in a loving and completely caring way, rather than those family members who are going to be like, fuck you, get out of my house, get out of my face, get out of my life. Let me know when you recover. And maybe things are going to work out with this entire family, siblings, parents, everybody who knows, maybe, maybe not when you're better, come back. It doesn't work. It just doesn't work. So it's got to come from a totally supportive environment. And let me tell you, when I was getting sober the first year before I was, before I was sober the first year when I was married to my husband, my current husband, because I was still drinking for almost a year with my husband. Like I said, we've been married 10 years this fall. So I was drunk for still almost a year. Oh my God. The shit that I said to some of his family members, are you kidding me? Like, I can't believe it. These people love me wholly and completely. And um, I, I've written a book, it, it's not out yet. But in the book, I talk about, I never knew, I never knew what actual unconditional love was other than from my dad, obviously, and he's my parent. Mm-hmm. So he has to like, right. we think. I right. guess that's not always the case. Yeah. <laughs> but um, uh, but for him, it was and um, this family did that. And I couldn't believe it. And I'm like, holy shit, how can these people still love me? How can I? Why am I still invited to Thanksgiving? Not only that, but like, they want me around. They loved me totally, no matter what, completely. I am great friends with all of them. My mother-in-law is one of my best friends. My brother-in-law, who I completely fucked with at one time, was, it was just one one episode, but it, it was really bad. I was wasted and it was just ridiculous and I was being a total dick. And um, oh my God, he he and I are great friends. I mean, it's just, these people forgave me they were like yo this was a disease don't sweat it like you were you were sick it's fine and and really and and they wrapped around me and and I have this family now that I never had before and that I've never seen before um I I just it's it's remarkable isn't it just remarkable I mean I I sound like one of these terrible cliches but like everything that sobriety has given me it's given me not only my life back it gave me a life that is 10 times more than I ever had before.
0: Thank you for listening to the podcast today. Remember, I am just a woman on a mission to normalize sobriety and living a sober lifestyle. I am not a licensed therapist or a doctor. Please, if alcohol is causing serious physical or mental health issues, seek professional help. If you enjoyed the podcast, be sure to hit follow so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, leaving a five-star review will help this podcast reach more people like you in the sober community. It's an easy way to spread the word in normalizing a sober lifestyle. You should never feel alone in sobriety, so feel free to reach out to me via email or through my Instagram account at thisisstephsober. Links to both are listed in the show notes.